Hey listeners, I'm Adam, and this is Can I Ask You a Question, a podcast where anyone is welcome to join me for an episode to share their thoughts on a topic of their choice. I'm looking forward to hearing new opinions and perspectives, and hopefully becoming a bit more open-minded along the way. If you're interested in joining me for a future episode, feel free to check out the sign-up link in this episode's description. It started. How's it going? Good. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. I'm excited for the talk. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Can we jump into the to the question you chose? Let's dive in. Okay. So the question you chose from the list was, do you think the attitude of one person's actions, uh, do you think the attitude of one person's actions doesn't make a difference is dangerous? That is the question you chose, right? <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah. Good start. Um, so maybe your thoughts or so why did you choose that question from the list mm-hmm. and what what's your perspective on it yes. and then we'll go from there so i chose that question because obviously true that one person's actions don't matter so i just need to like entrench not get <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean to me it's almost opposite that one person's actions uh add up with another person's and then you get these large effects Right. So I had at least two things that I wanted to talk about to frame that question, and I chose this question because it would it would be a cool opportunity to frame those two things that I'm already pretty deeply interested in, but by no means an expert in. So I can just dive right in. Sure. So the first thing, which I just bumped into again recently with a cool video and set of blog articles uh, by Tim Urban, blog articles and the video by... Kurtzkazat. So yeah. the video, it's, a, it's about emergence. Okay. So And then the other thing, just so I don't forget about it for later, is collective action problems. So I'll dive into like what I mean by both these terms. Okay. But briefly, uh, why I want to talk about emergence is because I think it's a really cool perspective on this question. So what do I mean by this fancy term? It's that if you take one person's actions or one individual's behavior, like yeah. an, an ant's behavior, for example, it doesn't seem very significant. It seems like an ant just has a very simple life. They pick, maybe pick up some leaves, they go over here, but somehow you get these very complex structures. You get ant colonies, and how the heck do they organize this without miserably failing? Well, it's because even like small, but very simple behaviors and programs uh, like small things the ant does, like if it detects that a lot of other ants aren't picking up food, it will then change its job to pick up food. So each ant has these little tiny behaviors that may seem insignificant, like maybe like the norm of picking up litter may seem insignificant, but if you add this up on a population level, uh, you get extremely complex and interesting effects when you have all these people and all these different programs interacting together. So like the simple way to, to term this is emergence. It's the idea that you can take very simple or like not super complex or smart things, individuals and units, but when you put them together, you get these emergent properties, which seem very complex, interesting, and also powerful for changing the world in the case of taking small behaviors. Cool. So, so the first cool thing I wanted to bring up. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And the second one was collect- collective action. Problems, yeah. Problems. Yes, so that's another term, a big fancy philosophy term, collective action problems. I had a great professor, uh, Julianowski, who is a pretty well-known scholar on these things. And, but all this to say, uh, 
collective action problems tie in somewhat to emergence. And it's, it's the idea that we have a lot of problems in society. Uh, the normal example that I give is voting, where it doesn't seem like one person's actions make a lot of difference. Uh, because like in a very like literal way, your vote is like one of thousands or one of millions. How is that going to make a difference? Why should you vote? Why should you pick up trash? There's millions of pieces of trash out there in the world. Why should your one pattern matter? Right. Well, it's because uh, if you view these problems on an individual level, like it is very accurate, very tangible, that they don't make any sense to contribute any effort towards. But if you look at them through the lens of collectives, if you act as if your behavior was coordinating with other people behave, people's behavior, or even just recognizing the fact that other people uh, have to face this same problem, then you can think about, hmm, if I were not an individual, but if I were the collective, uh, what small behavior would, would I do that would change this problem? So it's, it's again tied to emergence in that a lot of individual uh, small, simple actions can add up to a really big phenomenon. And an example, there are some like weird, obscure philosophy questions about this where uh, like maybe there's a village and a thousand people need water to survive for a certain period of time and they need like one liter of water each to make it through this uh, really, really dry day or else they'll have like very, very bad, very serious health effects. So, you know, and everyone in some other place can donate water to them. And if they all like, there's like thousands of people in this other place, so if they all donate water, then no one's gonna suffer. But the question is like, does it really make sense for like one person to donate water? Like that's not gonna fill up the truck of water. Right. And the truck's only, yeah, another condition might be that the only, the truck is only gonna leave when it gets filled up. So like, what is the impact of someone putting water in the truck? It seems like the impact is next to nothing because you put water in the truck, you put, you do your share. Maybe there's a lot of other people who do, maybe there's a lot of other people who don't, but you really wanna know like, are these people gonna get helped? Are, is this truck gonna get yeah. filled up? Yeah. So you, once again, you can't like think as the individual, you have to think as the collective and solve this in a collective way and understand where you are in the list of people, understand how likely other people are to put in the water. Maybe if you live in a terrible society, it isn't gonna be very impactful to like put in water because that truck is not gonna get full, it's never gonna leave. Maybe you live in a great society where everyone will automatically, like no matter what, as soon as they see the truck, they'll put in water. Then maybe once again, you should be using your time on other things. But we usually live in one of these weird middle cases where you have to understand like what other people are doing so observing other people's behaviors, that stuff can be useful for collective action problems. And there's also a bunch of other strategies that I'm not aware of, <laughs> it's been too long, but I find it super interesting, this question of how just a small, tiny behavior, when you think about it in these more connected collective ways and in these emergent ways, uh, can seem like a really important action. <laughs> yeah, so I agree that um, if people viewed acts like not littering or picking up garbage or donating or whatever these things mm -hmm. might be if they if they view it as okay if everyone operated the way i did this would be the impact then people would be more likely to i guess do positive things so two thoughts that come to mind are one how can we get people to think more this way mm. and then two unrelated do you, as a, as society do you think we're headed more towards people um viewing uh, behaving as like a collective or 
um, behaving more as, oh, my actions don't make a difference, so I'm going to defect or whatever. Uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, you can pick either one. I don't know if you have yeah. thoughts on either one. I'll probably like attempt to dive into both. Okay. So your first question was about... Um, the first one was how can we get people to... We, yeah, so to, it's like a marketing question. Right. <laughs> Almost. Right. And then the second question was which direction is the world yeah. actually going in terms yeah. of becoming more collective, realizing these problems, or becoming perhaps more individualistic right. in the way I think about these things. Right. So I do not have a lot of experience in like marketing, so <laughs> with like a lot of caution and like worry, I'll say like one way that comes to mind in terms of getting people to behave as collectives is just reminding people of the fact that other people are making this decision. So like a general way to do that would be maybe like an ad or an announcement that says like a hundred thousand people make the choice to like put litter into this trash can every day. And if none of them did, there'd be a hundred thousand pieces of litter here. Like, right. do you want to live in a world like that? Right. <laughs> or I think another really effect, I think it's pretty effective. It's something that hotels do, which is they will say like 80% of people choose not to like wash their towels every day because this can be incredibly wasteful your towel's not going to become disgusting every day unless you like accidentally like i don't know spill, put your towel in the toilet or something you never know but just these like persuasive like oh everyone's already doing it so you might as well get on the bandwagon sort of like picking on a bias but you know it's a bias that in this case produces good results so yeah i like that one what if it's an action that everyone else is not already doing Mm -hmm. so like I'm thinking of like giving what we can giving 10% yeah. of your income for instance very few people are doing that mm -hmm. so you can't say oh, everyone else is doing this but yeah. it would be good if people started doing it I'm thinking how to how to get people to to be the first mm -hmm. the first person to or one of the first people to start doing these actions when it's not the norm it's not expected maybe by society I don't know yeah, no easy task. I would imagine that selling them on the vision. You can be the first. <laughs> yeah, well, some people will be into that. They'll be like, yeah, I like being the first. But yeah. I think most people will be like, no, stupid people go first or whatever. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I really don't think I have like a good answer to that question. My sort of, the first thing that, or the thing that keeps circling around in my head is, just painting the vision that the world would, I'm very confident the world would be so different if everyone took on this behavior. Even if just donating like 1% of your resources, if you have the privilege to be able to donate 1% and yeah. not like suffer a loss yeah. in your well being. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you have that privilege to, and also feel the fulfillment of that donation, then the world would just be ridiculously different. It would just be like, uh, like all charities would have the opportunity to be tried yeah. and they might succeed, they might fail, but there'd just be such an awareness of people to, because they would be part of the conversation. They'd be an agent in the conversation because everyone would be like, Oh yeah, it's a normal thing to do. Yeah. And we can talk about it instead of this weird fringy thing that most people will sort of ignore. So just painting that clear future, I think, yeah, and, and just on that, like, I, I, I don't know what the exact stat is, but I've heard things like 
if everyone who was able to donated a small amount of money, I don't know what the number is. I remember it being in maybe the low hundreds, like, uh, like the estimates are that like world poverty could be alleviated for mm-hmm. instance. Um, and thinking more about it now, maybe the issue is that like, it feels, it feels like a, a grand problem, um, as an individual to solve mm-hmm. and, Maybe as an individual, you feel like you could donate a few hundred dollars, but you know that other people aren't going to, and it feels like a drop in the bucket, and it feels like you can't solve this grand problem, so you just don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, I guess some charities have taken like a good perspective on a good a good way of um, addressing that by saying like, no, even your donation will go in and help X number of people. Mm-hmm. It, it might not solve the whole problem, but yeah, I don't know. I went on a bit of a tangent there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of organizations have the idea that like some like metaphorical truck of water will get filled up eventually. Like right. you will have a real tangible impact, right. especially charities that care about measuring that evidence and measuring that impact and are accountable to your donations. So that's definitely like probably the main way that you would want to like sell these things is not that everyone else is going to behave in this way because they probably won't immediately, but maybe eventually. Uh, but whether or not everyone else does, you will still have a powerful impact. And then of course the collective action might be a bigger, bigger dream to go for in the future. Yeah. And I guess like Kickstarter type things are relatively mm-hmm. new concept, less than 10 years old or 20 years old, but mm-hmm. those that seems powerful in that, uh, like some of them, you don't have to contribute unless they hit the goal, reach the goal. So in that way, you can feel like you're playing a part in this, in helping solve this big problem. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, that'd be an interesting thing for some charities to try, perhaps some organizations to try. Like this project will get funded if we reach ten thousand dollars, and if it doesn't, then it won't. Right. Yeah, it could be. I don't know how many charities are taking advantage of Kickstarter-like things. Yeah. Probably a decent amount, but... Maybe one of the challenges with one of those for a charity is the struggle between... So as a donor, I might be more incentivized to donate if I know that my money's only going to be taken if it hits the goal. Mm -hmm. Because then it feels like... I don't want to just be necessarily that drop in the bucket. I want to have this big impact. Mm -hmm. But for the charity, if they hit like 90% of their goal they don't want to for, like forgo that money so they might be um they might want to just accept whatever whatever's been donated even if the goal isn't hit yeah i mean in these cases you people donating people kickstarting might yeah. be able to like recognize how incentives change when the amount changes yeah so like if for instance like a charity only has like 10% now, like there's not a whole strong incentive for either party to donate. Yeah. But maybe if there's like a 90% incentive, there's a stronger, you know, reason to donate and perhaps a stronger reason for uh, the people offering the Kickstarter for receiving the donation. It's a stronger reason for them to like, okay, we are almost there. We really need to like push and market hard, you know, especially if there's like a deadline they have to drive towards. So everybody just freaks out. There's also another way to do that, to structure this so there's another way to build Kickstarters with different kinds of, uh, I'll call them assurance contracts is the academic term. So what do you mean by that? So basically I know someone named Rob who's working on a project called POZM, P-O-Z-M. And P-O-Z-M? Yeah, P-O-Z-M. And eventually, I think he's, 
he's trying to get something up and running that's like Kickstarter, yeah. but instead of people contributing, instead of just getting the donors to contribute money and the project getting launched, there's a bit of a difference in the way the contract is structured, which is the person offering the contract, the person trying to receive the money, yeah. uh, they put up a, a little bit of their own money, or they put up someone else's sponsorship money, yeah. and basically that money will be distributed uh, to everyone who donates if it fails. So it's not just that people put their money towards it and say it only ever gets to 90% and they get their money back. This situation is people you know, put their money towards it and if it only gets to 90%, you'll get your money back and you'll get a sort of interest. You'll get a sort of bonus in payment because uh, you bet on this thing and your money is just sitting around and the person really wanted this to happen, they use that interest bit as a bit of incentive. So it can make mm-hmm. its potential has a potential to make Kickstarters like move in different ways, perhaps faster, or perhaps with more certainty. Interesting. Yeah, I'm so, trying to wrap my head around it. It's, it yeah, seems the, like a in, like very weird concept to me. Yeah, they're called dominant assurance contracts, and basically the idea is that right now the person like who wants to raise funds on a Kickstarter, they're not taking a whole lot of risk. They're just putting their effort and receiving funds, and then if they receive enough funds, woo But the idea of the dominant assurance contract is that the person looking for money, they take on more risk. They, they say, uh, I want to incentivize people to raise the $1,000 for my journalism project, for instance, and I'll put up like $100 for my journalism project. So uh, this will incentivize more people to put money toward it, ideally, because they'll either get the journalism project or they'll get an interest, like sort of benefit payoff. They'll get a piece of that hundred dollars that was put up That's originally. Cool. Yeah, as opposed to Kickstarter, where you'll just get your money back. The thing will happen, which is awesome. But you'll get your money back, which is kind of not awesome. It's kind of boring. So that's yeah. one way to one way to see things. Uh, I'll check out Possum. <laughs> Do you know if it's is it live? Uh, I don't think it's like super operational now. <laughs> I don't know if Rob would want me like mention the podcast, but I'm gonna do it's it anyway. Okay. There aren't there aren't many listeners yet. We'll see. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll by see the time the listeners pause yeah. is, is thriving. Yes, everybody, <laughs> go bug Rob and get him to start it soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I could briefly touch on the other thing, the the other question you had, which sure. was interesting, which was uh, after reflecting on. Uh, marketing and ways to get people interested in these collective action problems and taking a stand, uh, even though they're actually not seem very big. Uh, Like, how is the world actually changing in this way? I think the world is becoming continuously more connected uh, despite all the siloing that technology is doing, despite all the echo chambers. There are a lot of technology technologies and social structures we have right now that keep people only hearing the same media and whatnot. Despite all that, I still think there's enough sort of information and messages like breaking through and lapping, like pouring over the walls of these silos and over these echo chambers. I still think the world is becoming more aware of other people in the world. As an individual, if I look at like a global, I can very easily access a, a news program that will tell me about something going on in the world. And living in Toronto, you have this amazing benefit if you use it, which is to just walk around the city, uh, go to any event, go to any public place, and you'll probably meet a handful of people uh, from a very different country, uh, a very different background, culture, 
uh, Toronto is just an amazingly diverse place depending on uh, where you go. And I think things like that uh, make me think that we're living in a very connected world. And I'm sure there are so many parts of the world that do not feel as connected as Toronto does and as I do. But the fact that more people are moving to cities, the fact that more of these technologies are being accessed by larger parts of the population, I think people are building the awareness. And I think the awareness connects to thinking of the world as a sort of collective. But a part of me is also worried that even though we might be aware of all these other people and aware of this collective, that might not necessarily mean we'll cooperate. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all. It would sadden me to find that so many people realize these problems are happening on the other side of the world and they realize I'm contributing and they're contributing, but we can also try to solve it together. But if we don't think of those people as teammates, if we think of them maybe as like enemies or strangers, or if we just don't think of them at all, uh, then we might have even less reason to try to cooperate and think of things in these emergent and collective ways. Uh, yeah, that especially with the power of these echo chambers and silos, I wouldn't be surprised if even though we know about problems, uh, global problems or local ones on the other side of the world, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if people didn't really change their behavior because of that or if they even went the other way. But I really hope that's not the case. And I really hope either these visions of the future where we are working together, where technology does bring us uh, together in a more like authentic and diverse manner where we don't just dig into our whatever interests we start with, but we can broaden and grow and expand ourselves. And yeah, have both like sort of liberal openness, but both like, and also a like conservative clear understanding of what our own values are from which to begin and start growing from. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of hope out there, but I'm not, I don't know if my hope has like evidence behind it. So I don't really know the answer to your question, but I find it interesting. <laughs> it sounded like generally thinking, generally you think things are trending in the right direction, but cautious, you're cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I mean, if you look historically, over the last few hundred years, you, I think it's pretty clear that technology has brought people together in a lot of ways and contributed to solving collectives and solving collective action problems and building better emergent systems. And like one clear example is just the fact that people live in cities now. Like it was unthinkable like a thousand years ago for like a million people to live in the same like few kilometer, few square kilometers, like just because there'd be like poop and stuff everywhere, everybody would be fighting with each other, it'd just be chaos. chaos. Yeah. So the fact that we can work together now in, in geographically is sort of like uh, a positive note and a like historical bright side to like, hmm, uh, maybe we can acknowledge other people in other ways, kind of like we have done with geography, whether it's by living with them or just seeing the world itself as a smaller place, seeing someone who lives in, in rural India as my neighbor because I can now like, text them or, or I just know about them because some cool news program or because they like, I don't know, they designed a course that I'm working on at university and like agriculture, who knows what. Cool. Uh, next question. Mm -hmm. um, as you've thought more about collective action problems um, has it 
influenced or changed your behaviors? Um, like anything you'd be willing to share about um, things maybe that you did like in the past or behaviors that you're still working on, on like trying to change. Uh, and I could, I could give some personal examples to make things like more um, clear if that question wasn't, didn't make sense. Oh yeah, no, that question definitely resonates with me. Uh, yeah, the first example that comes to mind is voting. So a few years ago, uh, if you'd have like asked me like, "Am I going to vote?" I'd be like, "No, there's no point. Like, what? There's, there's my vote's not going to have an impact. If I thought I would, you know, if I if I was going to make an impact, uh, I would want to like influence other people, and even then, it just wouldn't really make that much of an impact. But now that I think of things as in a more collective way, and I also think of things in a sort of statistical way." where maybe my vote probably isn't gonna, there's like a 90% chance that my, or 99.99% chance my vote will have like no real impact. Yeah. But that 0.001% chance could swing like the entire election. Right. And there's like an actual 0.001% chance of that. So like maybe the results of winning the election would be like, uh, they'd bring like a thousand or like a million like points of happiness to my life. Maybe like, because like, thousands of hours of new careers would be created like per day or per, for people or maybe because donations, foreign aid, you know, take your pick. The policies do matter. Policies do change depending on the politicians you look at. And a small chance, a 0.0001% chance of influencing a policy that's worth to you like $200 million or 200, you know, thousand hours of staff time could be really like worth betting on. The expected value of that or whatever. Yes, yeah, exactly. The expected yeah. value. I, saw, I think I saw an article on this recently. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw the same one, but anyways. So I might have seen it a while ago. Yeah. I think Will McCaskill wrote something Maybe. on this, yeah. among other people. Okay. Written about this cool thing. So that's one example for cool. me. Yeah. Any, like any others come to mind? Um, I don't think... Donation a bit, but nothing like super tangible there has yeah. like come out of this collective thinking about it. Uh, at least not recently. Did you have some examples? Yeah, I could share some. Um, ones that have that I've changed, I guess, in the past was like uh, eating animal products. Mm -hmm. I guess thinking about the the fact that. Um, I think a common thing I hear from people is that myself, my one, like my own eating is not going to make a big difference, but if everyone operated that way, so yeah, trying to eat products that don't contribute to animal suffering, um, donating is one I've thought about, um, like downloading illegal music and stuff like that, um, one that I've been thinking about recently, I don't know how practical it is, but trying to not use, uh, like be on my phone in public much. Mm -hmm. Um, so like I've been thinking about the impact of like technology on people's well-being and stuff and how if you're in a subway, everyone's, or a lot of people are looking down at their phones. Um, and I've been thinking about whether or not that's good for people that we're not socializing. So I've been trying to think as practically as possible to just not be on my phone and not have my headphones in when I'm out and about, which is a big change for me because 
traditionally I always have my headphones in listening to podcasts or audiobooks when I'm walking down the street and I'm pretty much tuned out to like every everyone around me um, but I feel like like if everyone if everyone decided not to use technology when they're with other people it'd be it'd be pretty cool um, so I don't know that's that's kind of like a a weirder one that I've been thinking about no I thought about that as well in terms of uh, not like really large collectives of people but because of relating to the work I do in community building I've thought about the like added value of uh, considerateness in like small bits of altruism like what if everyone like say you go to it like you go to a meetup you meet a new group of people and like everyone in that community is just like a, a, a bit more a bit more friendly like that could change the entire experience of the room because totally. people might have like one positive interaction which will make them you know in maybe some cyclical some recurring way like more positive and that will like bounce around or if everyone you met did like a tiny little favor from someone else, kind of like a, that old movie, like a pay it forward model, like if you help like five people and then <laughs> help someone else, then everyone in the world will become like incredibly altruistic. <laughs> Maybe it's not gonna like help in like a magical movie kind of way, but I think there is like a real socially impactful way to change norms in, in communities, in workplaces, in friend groups, uh, and yeah, even just tiny little things. And change that so I've, I have thought about doing that and uh, I always you know I think it's very hard it's very challenging to change one's own behavior around those issues to like come up with like the trigger like the moment at which I will now become a more considerate person but if you can do it if you can make those like little culture tweaks maybe with some like nice posters or who knows what yeah I think they can have very very different very very large changes and create very different atmospheres yeah agreed um any other things that you think maybe like I should think about that I haven't so like voting was one I I hadn't thought a whole ton about I'm going to think about more um like another one that comes to mind for me that I've started thinking about more recently is like the concept of fair trade and and buying clothing and stuff that's more ethical in the way it's produced and stuff any any other things that come to mind for you that maybe I should I should self-examine. <laughs> Maybe. So this is like pretty niche, like for those who like know my interest, kind of unique. Yeah, for those who like want to make like an impact in some area of the world or like change their career or their donations or whatever. Uh, yeah, the main, the main, the way I'll put it is, are there like, can you, if you ask yourself the question, like, are there other people, uh, with the same motivations you have when making the next career choice or making that next donation choice. So I'll use the term uh, like coordination and like a community coordinated effort or community co coordinated like portfolio of action. So an example of this is uh, like, I wanna start a new project uh, to like get a bunch of uh, people to donate to a certain charity. So I would, you know, so if I knew things about projects, I would know that someone, you know, we need someone with like marketing skills, and someone with like good leadership skills, and someone, you know, who just understands the different aspects of these projects. Maybe someone understands finances really well. And I would look at myself and I'd be like, hmm, maybe I don't have a lot of those particular skills. 
So if I'm in a community of people, like if I know like 10 other people or if I know a thousand other people and some of them might be interested in this project and some of them might be, might have those skills, then taking the very small action of just asking them like, would you be interested in working on this project could result in like the huge payoff of them being like bringing that skill set, which might be sorely lacking to, to the issue. So whenever like one is looking to make a difference with a project uh, or slice of their career, uh, whenever you basically want to get anything like cool and big done, uh, the power of teamwork and leadership and making those small requests to change, change other people's actions. Uh, like in many cases, they might not be like interested. They just might be like tapped out or whatever. Uh, but if you make those small requests, like, oh, I know some marketing skills, they can help the marketing for this project, and they are available to do that, uh, it can just completely change your project. So I think of that as a related example to these little, like, small actions adding up to make a big difference. And also, like, tying into, like, the considerateness piece, like, considerateness has so many beautiful dimensions, but one of them is, like, considering others, their skills and interests, and how it can, like, how you can help them work towards their goals. Like if you know you both want to have an impact, you can just tell them about an opportunity, like boom, you can bring their skills to it. Right, so mutually beneficial, like, mm -hmm. and you're saying sometimes people don't think about this because maybe they don't like want to bother others or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, I think, yeah. Like what would be the, I guess, sorry to cut you off, but I, don't know I was just yeah. thinking like, what would be the reason for someone not to ask someone else for help if they would want to also help contribute toward this project or whatever and if they have the skills yeah i think one of the biggest reasons at least so i can only like speak to my personal experience on this question here because i would imagine other people have different barriers uh, and perspectives than i do but for the own my own barriers that i've tried to overcome uh, one of them was just maintaining an awareness, like noticing that other people have skills that are like very valuable and different than the skills I have or the skills that I'm, I'm used to seeing in, in my like friend groups, for example. So just having a mental list or an actual spreadsheet of people, uh, like having the actual opportunity to do this like in a structured way, I think might be the first barrier because it almost seems like a really really hard task like if you know 100 people and you you know how like can you rate on a scale of 10 how good they all are at marketing and like find the best one and reach out to them like it it seems when i put it that way it seems like a, almost like a really obscure and challenging task but uh, maybe some people are better than that that actually being aware of and understanding other people's skills and then yeah in terms of other barriers i think you're you're totally right that a lot of people just don't want to bother other people with opportunities and whatnot because they might not see them as opportunities they might see them as just annoying little things right but if you make that ask if you have someone's best interests at heart uh i don't think the annoyance is particularly like bad uh maybe if if, <laughs> if you do this enough like if you make enough of these like ridiculous requests and someone tells you like stop you know you've gone too far at that point <laughs> take uh, the hit <laughs> yeah but uh, i think the costs are like nowhere near the benefits i think the benefits outweigh them 
for the most part, uh, just making others aware of opportunities. And then another reason, one of the first things that came to mind when you mentioned this is I think a lot of people have a very individualistic mindset about taking on projects. And when I say a lot of people, I totally mean myself here. I have no idea if anybody has this experience, but for years I've like fought with this instinct in myself to just do everything like myself. I'll be like, oh, I know how to do this. I'll just do it myself. Uh, I call it like an autonomy complex or like an independence like complex. Uh, for me personally, this was just a huge barrier, just getting past individualistic thinking on these problems. Because I think part of it might be the way we're educated as we're growing up. We do have teamwork activities, but a lot of it is just individual work. And if you succeed, if you're rewarded for doing good individual work, then later in life, you might not even consider coordination and teamwork as an as a important thing to do because you've only been rewarded in the past. Right. Uh, it could just be, I don't know, something like genetic or inherent about myself or people like me. I'm not sure, but be aware of just individualistic thinking period. And I think a good way to get over that is just like having a recurring exercise that helps you be aware of other people's skills. Like maybe at the end of each day or maybe after you meet someone, you can have like a, you know, a moment to like, hmm, I just had this cool meeting with Adam. <laughs> He's got like really good conversational skills. You know, <laughs> very good. Listening, asking questions like, oh, just for future reference. <laughs> and I have to like recommend him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Things like that. <laughs> cool. Um, any, any other things you want to talk about uh, before we close off? Mm, um, to draw it all back to the original question. Yes. I think that like there's just so much like shocking weight to me to the point that if you make a small action and you make it for a purpose and other people have that same like goal in mind, then you're not really just making your own individual small action. You're part of this coordinated or emergent effort. Right. So of course, like every time you make any action, you might not want to think about like the global consequences of like coordination, but just realizing that there's so many other people out there who might share the same purposes and values and that if you find them, you work together with them and use the power of communities and collaboration to do awesome things. So, you know, when you see that piece of litter, you might be like, hmm, no one else picks up litter, but, you know, some people do. And if you all pick up litter together, then we'll just have like clean, beautiful, like amazing worlds and that. Yeah, and you never know. Like, if if you pick up like a couple pieces of litter on the street, other people, someone might see it. Someone mm-hmm. might see you doing it, and they might get inspired, and they might go pick up, and it could it could create a bit of some sort of chain, or could have a bigger impact than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, or another aspect, just to dig in even further, just because yeah. I have to. Uh, you might show yourself that you care about this issue more than, than you thought you did. Maybe you didn't think picking up litter was important, but humans do these things where if we take a behavior like picking up litter, we now feel like it's more important to have picked up litter. So 
uh, we'll, might become more mindful of other issues related to this in the future. And we might start like some, you know, political, you know, anti-litter campaign in the workspace or, you know, on the whole. And of course, litter might not be like the most pressing problem to work on. Yeah. It's one we're all familiar with. We can all empathize with like, oh, should I do that? But yeah, so whether it's careers, donations, considerateness, there's a lot of these areas of life where if you take an action, consider others, and you might have a much greater impact. Cool. Well, I enjoyed this conversation a lot. Um, for me, takeaways or things that I'm going to think about are I'm going to uh, research collective action problems. Um, that kind of term is kind of, I think I've heard it before, but I haven't thought or researched it a lot so I'm going to look into that and then I'm also going to try to think more about uh, more actions that maybe I'm either doing or or I want to do more of or do less of that um, have to do with collective action problems yeah sweet cool. I'm glad yeah Thanks, I think you got me thinking about the issues more as well so cool. I might do the same cool. thanks so much Adam. thanks Colin Thanks again for tuning in to Can I Ask You a Question? If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you left a rating on iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening from so that more people like you can discover it. Also, it'd be super helpful if you'd be willing to leave some feedback on any ideas you have for improving future conversations using the link in this episode's description. Thanks again and see you next time.